I started traveling the world and seeing how other countries were developing athletes and they were way ahead of us just by leveraging uh, a cohesive way of developing athletes. So my goal became, how do I bring that to the United States? All right, Eric, welcome officially to the Fit Father Project and Fit Mother Project podcast, my friend. We're super happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And I really enjoyed kind of spending some time before the the podcast started, getting to know you a little bit better and very thankful for the work you're doing. I appreciate that. And I will say I'm also excited, even just from our pre-conversation, because we have a lot in common and we're going to have a deep conversation today. My intention is that everyone who listens to this podcast today is going to walk away with a greater understanding of stress, of how to create more resilience so we can meet the demands of our lives and how using technologies that you've developed like AIM7 is going to help people harness the power of data, of wearable technology to actually do actionable insights and and make improvements. So I think in my opinion, you're at the forefront of this. And as I mentioned in the intro, if anyone is inspired throughout the process of this conversation and wants to actually get plugged into the AIM7 software and technology that you do have, there's going to be links in the show notes. We have a special coupon code for FitFather and FitMother. The code is FitFamily. You can check that out. So that being said, let's get into a little bit of your background because I think it's fascinating and, and you as a high performer yourself have done so much in this in this realm. Like, Give us the abbreviated couple minute version of how you became the guy that was so in, 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 in into like stress performance and all this stuff. Well, first of all, thank you. That's very complimentary. Um, I think it came out from it. I came up from inadequacy. Uh, I was, you know, a good high school football player, went on to play at Texas A&M, but I was a walk on and we had this physiology lab attached to our weight room. This is back in the 90s. It was called the Needham Steed Laboratory. And um, I wanted to be a surgeon. And I'm looking over and I'm like, Why, what's going on here? Like these people are like taking blood and they got these like masks on their face. And I went to our head strength conditioning coach who's still a very big influence in my life. He's actually the head strength coach at the Detroit Lions right now. And um he said, Eric, there's a science to training athletes. And that was it. Like I was done. And uh, I would bug them all the time. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing with guys that end up, a lot of them played in the NFL, won Super Bowls, and I could see the difference between me and them. I'm like, how do I close the gap? Mm-hmm. So I went to the University of Arkansas for a graduate school, got a master's in physiology. And while I'm there, I'm a graduate assistant strength conditioning coach. And one day this coach walks in with these athletes and he's like, hey, would you like to train these sprinters? They had just come off on Olympic Games. It was Veronica Campbell-Brown and several others. So I ended up working with a number of Olympic gold medalists for almost 14 years. Wow. And I started traveling the world and seeing how other countries were developing athletes and they were way ahead of us. Because in the United States, we have one of the greatest genetic populations for gene pools for athletes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is what it is. Uh, you go to Australia, huge by land mass, they did not have a very big athlete population. Yeah. And so up until like 2000, they were terrible in the Olympic Games. Well, they decided to change things and they built something called the Australian Institute of Sport. They brought the best in technology and biomechanics and physiology together. 
long story short, they went from like 50th in the world in metal count to top three. Okay. <laughs> Just by leveraging yeah. uh, a cohesive way of developing athletes. So my goal became, how do I bring that to the United States? My opportunity came in 2010 when I was at Florida State with the football staff. I went to Australia and I brought back athlete wearable tracking technology. So this is before the Apple Watch existed. Fitbit was barely a thing. We were the first people to ever track an athlete in game. And we had this huge problem. We had millions of data points, no idea how to use it. Mm -hmm. I ended up hiring a former NASA propulsion engineer to help me derive meaning from the data and organize it. Long story short, we were able to use that data and information. We figured out a way to make it actionable, which is the key. And we had an 88% reduction in injury. Our team won a championship. Wow. It opened a multi-billion dollar market for sports wearables and data. So now every NFL game you've ever seen, every college football game, the championships coming up, up on, on Monday, they all have these little devices on the back of their shoulder pads in, the, in college, and it's all catapult. Uh, that's what I brought to the U.S. And the NFL, they have chips in the shoulder pads. But anyways, so my career went in that direction, got a Ph.D., uh, studying sleep and stress resilience. And I really wanted to understand how do we build this, uh, this capacity for more physical and psychological stress? Because that is the unlock for athletic performance. And it's really the unlock for longevity and thriving. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the genesis of my career and how everything evolved. And now I'm, you know, running AIM 7 and trying to serve people just like you are. That is honestly really cool story. Really impressive uh, and I'm really grateful and excited that we can now bring that level of high performance athletic experience into our fit father and fit mother communities where we have mm. parents who also need to be able to perform, you know, at their jobs with their families and, and just escape these cycles where people do get burnout or overwhelmed and then they fall back into some old default habits and patterns that don't really serve them and, and aren't actually addressing mm -hmm. the root cause. So could we talk about like, what is, what, what is a resilient human and like, how does the nervous mm. system play into this and what is stress? Like, let's kind of get like foundational and describe what like performance actually looks like in us and keep in mind the, the busy dads and moms over 40 who are listening to this when you describe it. Yeah. So a good friend of mine, his name is Dr. Alex Arbach, and I highly recommend you have him on your show. Mm -hmm. He's the director of wellness and development for the Toronto Raptors. And he has a beautiful way of describing stress. He said, stress is our brain and our body preparing us to do something effortful. I think it, it we, we demonize stress, but stress is really a generic system that mobilizes other systems in our brain and our body for action. It could be immunological. Mm -hmm. It could be psychological. It could be physical. It could be social. And so the nervous system, specifically our brain, is what determines what events are stressful. And when you experience uncomfortable thoughts, emotions, and feelings, or you are put into a position where I'm, I have to take action, there's just this generic response uh, where you kind of get into this heightened state of arousal. You know what I'm talking about. Your heart rate begins to beat a little bit faster, respiration rate increases, blood is moved away from your digestive system to your mm -hmm. working muscles. Um, the autonomic nervous system is, is goes from more of a parasympathetic or this kind of rest and digest state to more of a sympathetic state 
which has nothing to do with sympathy, uh, but really it's kind of turning on the, these systems to make you alert, focused, and to take action. Um, that is what the stress system globally does. There's other parts to this, like the HPA axis. Mm -hmm. We don't really have to get into all that, but just know this. The interesting thing about stress is it's a very generic response. Mm -hmm. And because of that, there are tools at our disposal that we can use to regulate stress. I would also say that, um, you know, stress in and of itself is not bad. Think about this. If you want to get fit, you have to engage with exercise, which is a stress. Yep. Um, if you want to learn a new skill, you have to deliberately engage in learning, which creates plastic changes in our brain. Mm -hmm. uh, watch your kids, right? They're like little babies, you know, growing up and they're trying to figure out their environment. And that's a stressful situation. And the, the brain and the body use that to kind of coordinate themselves. So the key is, is like, you want to be able to adapt to stress. Mm -hmm. And when you adapt, you thrive. Your, your body and brain is an, your, your brain is really an adaptation machine. Mm -hmm. It's designed to take an input and to adapt to it, to your surroundings. And so, um, what you want to build is something I call adaptive capacity. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to adapt to more physical and mental stress with less cost. Mm -hmm. So, um, when you exceed your capacity to adapt to stress, that's when you have physical and mental health problems. Yeah. From a physical standpoint, it's pretty pretty easy to predict. When you, it's the new year right now, people like ramp up a bunch of exercise. Guess what? They get overly sore. They get delayed onset muscle soreness. Mm -hmm. They may end up with tendonitis or they injure themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, from a psychological perspective, um, if you have too much stress for a long period of time, I call it the low grade fever of stress and you're yeah. not able to adapt to it, then you begin to break down. Mm -hmm. You get sick, you could get injured. And in the worst case scenarios, you know, some type of pathology, you end up, you could end up passing away. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, stress is necessary. Um, but the key is to how do I build more capacity for it? And so that's definitely where I want to take us next is the different aspects of our routines, habits, pillars, concepts that can help us build that capacity. And it also makes me think of, and I, I'm curious if you're, if this is true in your experience, that when we engage into a stress, something's coming up and our system is, is going to adapt. There's like a healthy way to engage into that. And then there's like layers on top of it where we're just adding more typically probably like mental baggage, like a psychology on top of it that is that has a lot of fear and anxiety. Like mm -hmm. you can do the same thing, but one has a lot more weight to it that's like unnecessary relative to what's required to actually perform, et cetera. And that actually makes it harder to adapt. It's like you can put the, put the foot on the gas in two ways. And like in one scenario, it's like the healthy acceleration and the other one, you like slammed on it so much that it doesn't actually make <laughs> it go faster, but it hurts like the car itself. And yes, you know what I'm trying to say? So can you maybe talk about that? Then we'll get into the pillars. Cause I think it's like the process of the stress as well as the capacity for it. Man, this is, I've never had anybody ask me this question. This is a great question. Um, so I don't know if you've ever used any type of wearable device, but mm -hmm. a lot of times these, these, um, devices, these apps now have readiness scores, mm -hmm. 
right? What does that mean? Um, it's the way I look at it is it's an adaptability score. It's like, how adaptable am I to stress today? And if you can control it, because I, I think we, I mentioned to you before, like you can't manage stress. Like you could, nobody could manage the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Like nobody had the choice of, oh, I just want to turn this off, right? No, you didn't, nobody has a choice over, you know, we're heading into an election cycle. That's going to be a lot of fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the economy, whatever. I can't manage those things. The, the things that I can manage, the inputs of exercise, the inputs of certain types of psychological stressors, the food that I'm nourishing my body with. So there's there are ways to, to sleep, to recover, that I can actually create more adaptive reserves, mm-hmm. okay, and then choose the things that I'm putting into the system. And so the body every day has a certain level of adaptable capability. So imagine like I've got a Yeti here. Mm -hmm. Uh, That Yeti is filled to water with the top. And that is how much adaptive reserves I have. Well, there's like holes in the bottom of this cup. And every day, certain things drain your adaptive reserves. Let's say you had a great night of sleep last night. You ate awesome food and you had a nice walk yesterday in the sun and you're with your family and everything's great. You wake up the next morning, man, your tank is full. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's say we got kids. I got three of them. Uh, one didn't have a great night of sleep last night. And like yesterday, somebody, my car is parked in front of my house and somebody hit my car yesterday. Like how awesome is that, right? That's true, by the way. Wow. And so, okay, that kind of little bit of stress, right? You, you have these things. And so you're going to wake up, you're like, ah, I don't have quite as much gas in the tank. Well, now I have to make an educated decision on how much stress I then layer on intentionally. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. I hope that answers your question. So you got to understand how much gas do I have in the tank and then what's the precise dose that I'm going to intentionally take on or what practices can I engage in today to refill that tank in a deliberate fashion. Over time, these systems, it's like having a bowl. Um, if all the stress I could hold or handle and adapt to was like a small little bowl and I filled it to the brim and you're, and you're like, Eric, I want you to run across the room. And I ran across, water would just be going everywhere, right? It's like chaos. If I now have a bowl, that's like, I can barely put both arms around and now I pour, it's like the tank, right? And I pour all the stress. It's like, I could sprint up and down stairs and nothing's going to happen. It's a daily process that it takes longer than we'd like. But as you build more and more capacity, the same things that, you know, physically would used to cause perturbations in your readiness or psychologically, now you have the tools to be aware of where your mind's at. You can then take action and regulate your system. You become a very robust yes. and resilient individual. With high capacity. And and yes. then you can direct that to whatever you're being called to. And I want to get into the ways to build the reserves now. I think the analogies you put out are so beautiful. And one comment I do have is I really love that idea of the bowl and particularly the Mm -hmm. running. Like we all get the idea that you'd want to build a bigger bowl, which is your reserve so that you just like small little things, a little water loss here or there. It doesn't matter as much because you have so much tank. And so that's what we're going to spend a lot of time on is talking about how to get the bigger tank through the investments in the management of your daily processes and habits. But then the idea too is like, okay, so we need to get, we need to move. There's stress. So we need to move into action to whatever we're doing. There's the idea of doing a jarring run and the idea of like the smooth, fast walk there. And that's what I'm trying to get at is I almost feel like that is the, 
your psychological framework of how you approach everything. There are people who get very anxious and worked up and, and like fly off the rails at certain things. And I think that spills more water than if you can mm-hmm. learn through mindfulness practices, you know, therapy, whatever you need to do to be able to proceed with more grace and peace, but still get the same thing done. So it's like the walking itself will also preserve more of your bull while you're building a bigger bowl. So I know that we're really extending this analogy, but I think it's very true. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I call this mental fitness. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, a mentally fit person, I, we could start with that first pillar if you want sure, to. Sure, let's do it. But a mentally fit person is, or mental fitness is the ability to be present mm-hmm. and to process information without bias. Mm-hmm which empowers you to respond quickly and rationally to changing circumstances through actions anchored in your values. Yep. Okay. So let's think about this. You can be consciously present. You're in the moment. Information's coming at you all the time. You can process it without some type of bias. Mm -hmm. And then you can respond in a rational manner anchored in your values. So the worst thing that can happen is, is like you get in an argument or your your child says something, you snap back, and you're like, oh, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's mm-hmm. not okay. Why? Well, you need to improve your mental fitness. Okay. Just like we train our physical fitness, you need to improve your mental fitness. One of the best ways to do that, and this is one of our pillars, mental fitness, is through mindfulness practice, which you alluded to earlier. Uh, we I think we talked earlier, like uh, when I was at the University of Kentucky, we did one of the first studies with headspace, Mm -hmm. uh, mindfulness with athletes. This is like 2012, 13, somewhere around there. And we were looking at like how mindfulness impacted cortisol levels. And what we found was like some crazy stuff. Like there was one athlete we had that could not gain weight, just could not gain weight. And um, come to find out he was a ruminator, meaning he would go to dinner with his girlfriend and somebody would say something to him and it bothered him and he would just gnaw at him for like days, right? So if you're listening to this, you could be like virtually raising your hand right now. That's me. And so we introduced mindfulness to him after just a very brief period of time of, of training mindfulness, which mindfulness does is it just makes you aware of the present moment. Mm-hmm. As my friend, Dr. Peter Haberl says, it's you're training your attention and attention is the currency of performance. Yeah. What everybody, every elite athlete or mom or dad wants is to have control of their attention, right? So that you can respond and act in a way that you like. Well, this guy did this for, I don't know, it was like eight weeks. He ended up putting on like 10 pounds. Nice. Why? Because nothing changed, but his, his regulatory systems now went into balance and guess what? His tank got bigger and his body could then use resources that it was mobilizing for stress to then build <laughs> tissue and, and to adapt. Yeah. So mindfulness is an excellent way to improve mental fitness, breath work. Um, there's different types of breath work that can impact your autonomic nervous system. The interesting thing, there's just kind of a crossover. So like you could do breath work to calm you down. Yeah. You could do breath work for focus like box breathing. You can do breath work to actually heighten your arousal, but there's kind of this dual benefit of doing breath work is it also it's mindful in nature because you're mm-hmm. having to focus your attention on your breath. Prayer is an excellent way to improve mental fitness. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this, but that is definitely one of the key pillars 
to building more capacity is to train your mind so that you're aware of what's coming at you. You're aware of where your headspace is at. And if you're like, I'm a ruminator, I'll just be honest. When I notice that my brain is chasing the rabbit, then I kind of, okay, mm-hmm. I go through a, like a minute or two of breathing, bring myself back. And I'm right back on track. Over time, this significantly improves your capacity to handle physical and psychological stress because there is a crossover adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to move on to another pillar? I do. And I, I mean, I just relate to that so deeply. I mean, I've got into mindfulness and uh, meditation and prayer practice intensely over the last half decade, and it's completely rewired how I relate to everything in a way that I have so much more capacity. Like, I think it was interesting. There's a study about like meditators, how they have um, so much lower startle responses. So meditators, when they you know, smack loud noise, everyone else jumps and they, they like, they don't. And I think it's neurologically, they're just tuned in to becoming present and accepting of all things and not having the startle response, which is you could say is almost like the aberrant version of the stress response a little bit. That is a really cool... Um I've never heard that. I just wrote that down on my notes. Always learning. Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you for listening to this Fit Father podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become. I had no idea when I started FFP around 10 years ago that it would grow into such an impactful mission. And I want to let you know that I am so grateful to be connected to you in this lifetime. And on behalf of me and my entire team, we are so grateful to be in your life, helping you get and stay healthier for your family. That's what I want to share. Just some gratitude from my heart to yours. Let's get back to today's episode. The next one I would say is sleep. We all hear about sleep all the time. Um, That was my doctoral work. I wanted to understand how sleep impacted our ability to adapt to stress. Mm -hmm. We were actually able to measure something called direct current potential of the brain, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like, think of it as the battery of the brain. It actually has a millivolt potential. Yeah. And we could see how sleep impacted that which impacted our ability to adapt to stress. Couple things about sleep. Um, sleep is directly related to your immune system For response. Sure. So during the day, these stress systems are turned up, which is fine, right? Mm-hmm. You got to respond to your environment. Well, at nighttime, these systems are supposed to dial down. Mm-hmm which then allows your immune system to kind of kick into action. And actually you create what's called long-term immunological memory during this period of time. It's really interesting. Your body has the capability of um, remembering foreign invaders that came in, right? So it can then neutralize them later. Um, If people hear about cortisol, like, I need to regulate my cortisol. Mindfulness will help getting adequate sleep, restful and fulfilling sleep. Yep. Um, testosterone for men, especially most of your testosterone is released during later stages of REM sleep. Yep. Um, fragmented, especially older men, you can actually predict their waking testosterone levels by looking at sleep fragmentation. And, um, if you sleep deprive yourself to like less than five hours a week, it's like reducing your total testosterone by 10 to 15%. Can you just kind of explain that the less than five hours a week? What does that mean? So if I were to sleep less than five hours a night, okay. sorry, Got over it. a week, Got sorry, it. over a week, you're like, yeah, that, of course, if you didn't sleep five hours in a week, sorry. Yeah. If I slept for five hours a night for a week, my testosterone level would drop about 10 to 15%. Yeah. After 30, males, typically their testosterone level decreases about 1% per year. You can mitigate that with strength training and other things, lower the, the decrement. 
But if you think about that, you're like aging yourself a decade in testosterone through sleep deprivation. Yeah. So a lot of guys, you know, start thinking about testosterone replacement where really they just need to get their sleep back online. <laughs> sure. um, hunger, you know, your hunger hormones, leptin and ghrelin are regulated by sleep. Mm-hmm. So people that are sleep deprived less than seven hours a night can eat about almost 400 extra calories a day. Yeah. So your self-control is, is, you know, thrown thrown for a loop. Um, I think one of the biggest ones we talk about mental health, um, something that's very concerning to me. And I actually have a traumatic brain injury from my football days, um, is brain health. Yeah. We now know that the brain doesn't have a traditional lymphatic system. It has something called a glymphatic system, which is basically upregulated when we sleep at night, which means that your brain kind of flushes all these metabolic toxins out of which a number of these are associated with neurodegenerative diseases. So there's a lot of stuff that happens during sleep. The key thing is, is like, and I'll just say this right here. What should you pay attention to? Yeah. These devices like the Apple Watch, the Aura Ring, the Whoop, when it says like deep and REM sleep, that data is completely invalid. Um, if you go to our website, we actually created a blog. If you Google accuracy of wearable technology, AIM-7 shows up like number one or number two next to the NIH. We have this ongoing, we're like, we're device agnostic. We love wearables or else we wouldn't exist, but we want you to know like what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. But, um, deep in REM sleep, you cannot measure those accurately yet mm-hmm. with, wrist-worn actigraphy and HRV. Yeah. You would need something called polysomnography. Yeah. So the only things you should really be focusing on is duration, mm-hmm. onset, when I go to sleep, and how consistent my sleep is. So um, onset is something that's really interesting. A lot of people are like, well, does it really matter if I go to bed at one and wake up at nine versus 10 and six? Is that eight hours the same? It is not. Um, there was a paper, um, I got a find this um it was done it was with like several hundred thousand people out of the uk biobank they used 23andme data they looked at um wearable data sleep journals it was in a very extensive sleep study and what they found was is this when you go to bed is directly related to uh your risk of major depression mm-hmm. And so if you were to shift, let's say you went to bed at midnight and you shifted it back, um, you shifted your sleep back one hour. Every one hour shift backwards decreased your risk of major depression by almost 20%. Wow. Yeah. And then if they shifted it back two hours, it was almost 40%. And then the researchers is really interesting. They're like, why is this, right? Okay, it's like, okay, we're seeing this trend, but why is it that if I go to bed earlier and I wake up earlier that I have less risk of depression? It all goes back to one thing. The way that you're, there's two things that regulate sleep. There's a homeostatic drive and something, and there's a circadian aspect to this. Well, your circadian clock is anchored by sunlight yes so people that go to bed earlier and wake up earlier get more natural sunlight exposure which directly impacts um when you see sunlight in the morning it sets off a cascade of hormonal and neurological events that directly impact your mood and risk of depression yes so just getting outside you're in a beautiful part of the country 
for a few minutes every morning. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's cold, just bundle up and yep. go outside, stand on your porch, drink your coffee, mm-hmm. anchor your circadian clock. So I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole anymore unless you want me to, but um, sleep, mental fitness, um, exercise. I think exercise is one of these things that like we hear a lot about, but um, there is what's called a cross stressor adaptation, which means that physical exercise. So here's the cool thing about exercise. When you exercise, you are deliberately turning on the stress systems and turning them off. Yeah. So your body gets good at kind of flipping this switch. Um, and so there is a cross stressor adaptation to psychological stress resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really cool things about like aerobic exercise and BDNF, which helps with, um, which helps with memory. It yes. also helps with brain health. But the, the three kind of things you really want to focus on is how much you're walking every day. A great paper just came out, um, you know, the 10,000 steps rule. It's not too far off. It's kind of like 8,800 steps mm-hmm. is where we start to see like kind of this precipitous drop off of risk of cardiovascular disease, lowering your risk of all-cause mortality. Yep. Uh, something called moderate to vigorous physical activity. I'm sure you, yes. you guys talk about this We're a no lot. strangers yeah. to that. Yeah. And then resistance training. Like- Everybody needs to resistance train. There was a really cool paper that showed that if you hit your 150 to 300 minutes and you do at least two total body strengthening sessions a week, you lower your risk of all-cause mortality by 47%. <laughs> like these are not like – like people are like, let's go do a cold plunge and a sauna. I'm like, yeah, that's great, but that's like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Like just go walk more, yeah. lift heavy stuff, and get your heart rate up. 100%. And you can do all of this while outside. Yes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you needed to, because mm-hmm. I'm a busy parent. You know, my wife, we got three kids. My wife's a physical therapist. Like, we have to sneak it in. We have to figure out a way to get it done. And so we do stuff with our kids. We go mm-hmm. walking with our kids. But like, it's really not that complicated. Um, two more, real quick. One is nutrition without getting into like extremes on any side of this equation. I have friends that are vegan. I have friends that are carnivore, whatever. Yep. The literature is pretty clear. Like something closer to the end of something like a Mediterranean anti-inflammatory diet. For sure. That's what multicolored ours is much like. Yeah. Yeah. Just multicolored fruits and vegetables, protein, healthy fats. Um, you're just setting your body up for, you're reducing systemic inflammation. You're yes. fueling yourself adequately. And I just kind of want to double click on this last one for a little bit longer. Community. This is like, we are getting so much valuable research now, unfortunately, because of COVID. Uh, There was a paper out of the British Psychological Society that showed that people that had greater connectedness during lockdown periods um, had less worry and fatigue Uh, lower perceived levels of stress. It was as if like this connectivity acted as a buffer Mm -hmm. against physical and psychological stress. There was a paper that came out of the University of Kansas, I don't know, six, nine months ago that showed just one meaningful conversation a day. Significantly lowered stress, boosted your mood. Here's the kicker though. Electronic forms were not effective. 
you actually have to connect with somebody in real life. Yeah. And, um, and then the last one, and you alerted, alluded to it earlier, like kind of your prayer practice is faith communities. Um, I'm not going to go into the rabbit hole of like, you know, I just think that, you know, people kind of dismiss this stuff. And there was a paper with 5,400 people over 18 years. So I started looking into, you can go down this rabbit hole, look up allostatic load sometime. And I was doing a bunch of research on like how to build and enhance our ability to handle stress. And I ran across this paper and it was like, people that were regularly engaged in a faith community had a 55% reduction in all cause mortality. Now, what is it about a faith community that's like, can be very beneficial? Well, one, typically like you have friends mm-hmm. and you share your burdens with your friends. Yeah. And then the other two is acknowledging that, you know what, I'm not the center of the universe and so maybe there's something bigger than me. Yes. Um, I'm a, I, my faith, I have a Christian faith, but my point is, is like, um, we intentionally moved back to Houston because of this group of people that we love doing life with and we mm-hmm. can go through hard stuff with. We need each other. So if you're living in community with folks, if you're getting an adequate amount of sleep, and look, if you have kids, we know there's going to be seasons in life. Mm-hmm. So nothing's ever going to be perfect. If you got some way of doing something for your mental health and fitness, if you can control 80% of the time what goes into your body and you're fueling yourself um, and um, you know, you're know you exercising at a pretty frequent interval, you're going to be very adaptive to stress. For sure. Well said. I mean, that's definitely a masterclass in the totality of what it takes for a well, resilient human. And I know that the people listening to this are going to be nodding their heads and be like, yup, this is what we're doing with Fit Father and Fit Mother Lifestyle. And so now you have a deeper cut about why this all ties into your overall stress resilience. A couple of kind of poetic thoughts that came to my mind is when you were sharing about the one meaningful conversation during the COVID times, that that seemed to be like a buffer or like to create this protective barrier and create resilience through connection. It made me realize that our nervous system is is both personal and transpersonal in the sense that Mm. literally you are through your connection emotionally with someone outside of your direct nervous system, you're borrowing, creating this additive synergistic property that I think is so like poetic, let alone the faith community, which I think is the same thing. It's not only just like the friendships and the relationship, but your nervous system and can shift into this resilient, connected, less fearful and isolated. I think the, the domains, at least normal we'll talk a little bit in the spiritual realm of love and fear is a duality that like it plays out in most major religions. And I think the love can be mirrored in a resilient nervous system that has someone that feels open, connected, that there's strength beyond exact understanding, that I don't have to do this on my own. And there's a softness to that kind of strength. Whereas the fear is a contracted, tense, typically I'm on my own and I need to fight. And there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, that's naturally going to orient the system Mm -hmm. in a way that it's contracted, not expansive. And we are here with one another to help create more of this generative balance. And we can, like we all, as much as we do have a bunch of crap going on in the world, like we all could imagine the hypothetical world that is driven predominantly through the energy of love and what that would do to 
ourselves as beings, but also as the structures we create as civilization. And it all is so fractal. It like starts with our own nervous system and is mirrored out in our actual systems of civilization. And then ultimately, perhaps even our relationship to the cosmos, to God, to the universe, to all of this. So mm. it's it's really cool. Like, I mean, I, I'm just, I just want to go there. And I think that's, uh, I don't know if you, that resonates with you. It does. It resonates a lot. I, I, you got me deeply thinking. It's hard for me to stay focused right now because my mind's thinking about, this is a pretty profound statement. Um, yeah, when you, yeah, I just think there's something about sharing your burdens with other people mm-hmm. and being open to that. And it, 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 it allows you just to kind of, bleh. you ever <laughs> heard some guy talking, some comedian, he's like, you know, how many guys do you know that want to say they, they need a good cry? You know, <laughs> not a lot. Yeah. But you know what? Like, in essence, we do. We just all need it in a different way. Yeah. And when you do that and you can talk to somebody about what's happening, a friend, maybe you need to see a counselor. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, open up. It's going to relieve. It's like taking a pressure valve and just like relieving that pressure valve. Yeah. Um, so, so true. Yeah. I have one thing I want to talk about before we transition the back part of this conversation. I want to go into how... AIM-7 helps people take the inputs of data and then make actionable decisions in terms of what to do. So in all these inputs, whatever you're feeding into your data set, and then, okay, today, this is what we're seeing in the picture. Maybe not do this high-intensity exercise, maybe do this more restorative thing. Before we get there, can we talk a little bit about dopamine? Um, you know, I guess I think that's a conversation we're going to hear more about, especially because I believe that a big reason why humans are likely less resilient today is because one, we're outside and we're less circadian rhythm balanced as we used to. And then two, we have these phones and our screen time and all this that is creating both physical and low level psychological stress by taxing this neurochemical dopamine reward system that is inherently deeply tied to the nervous system and our ability to have a reservoir. Like when you're depleted in this kind of dopamine system, like you are at your worst performance. Um, and so can we talk about that? Is that something that you get into? Yeah. You know, um, when you're, I think about it more like long-term goal pursuit, mm-hmm. uh, cause people feel demotivated. Yeah. It's like, blah, right. So motivate dopamine is ty- highly related to motivation yes. and goal pursuit. And so, um, one of the things, you know, my background in sports, like we always talk about like process mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we'd say, Hey, we want athletes to create goals, but then we want them to understand, then reverse engineer that and understand the process that it takes to get there. Well, if you think about two runners running a race and you're running a marathon, both running a marathon and one runner is like just solely focused on the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, was it 26.2 miles is a marathon? Uh, first of all, I would never do that. Uh, I, I like biking. I hate running. I will sprint, but I will not run. It's just, it is what it is. I love hiking too, but I hate running. I don't know. So anyways, that'd be torture. Um, if I was to just focus on the goal, I'd quit. Mm-hmm. Why? Dopamine levels would start to drop for sure. However, if like I could see like the next corner Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just got to make it to that corner. And when I get to that corner, I then go, Eric, good job. Well done. Guess what? You actually can internally reward yourself with increases your dopamine levels. Yes. Um, 
And you have to do that over and over again. As an entrepreneur, I think you could agree with me that sometimes we don't do this. Yeah. I've had long stretches of that. And it feels burnt burnouts at the end of that for sure. As parents, yeah. we don't do this. We just think about final outcomes and we never actually take a moment. Like we recently raised some money, right? For AIM7 because we're technology took a lot of money to get this thing off the ground. And I had three friends text me at the same time. What are you doing tonight to celebrate? I was like, I hadn't thought about it. So I went to my youngest son. I was like, what do you want to do? He was like, I want to eat Mexican food. I'm like, great. So we went and ate Mexican food and like just celebrated. Like he didn't even know why, but like, (laughs) that's not typically how I celebrate with food, but it doesn't matter. The point is, is like, I think that yes, the phones are zapping us. Pornography is crippling people. Uh, It's crippling kids. Um, you get such a like such a massive it depletes your neurotransmitters yes. over time. And I mean that's and that's all exactly what we're talking about. And it doesn't even have to be like straight up pornography, even just the stuff the kids are looking on Instagram, which is just like a bunch of moderately acceptable naked people looking at how they look. It's brutal. It, what is it? Um God, I saw the other day. I need to find this paper, but it was like parents that can delay getting their kids on social media, their mental health is better over time. Um, I I mean, we've always dealt with the comparison game. Uh, It was like a junior high, high school, right? Yeah, for sure. The difference is, is when you at home, you didn't have to compare yourself anymore. Yep. Now it's everywhere. And I saw Matthew McConaughey talking about this. He's like, they didn't let their son have a phone till he was 15. And he was like, I wanted my son to know if he wanted to share something in the world, make it re- meaningful and go share it. But don't share it because mm-hmm. I just thought it, there's something like kind of beautiful about that. But, um, you know, I'm no, by no means a neuroscientist, but my understanding of dopamine has always been around motivation and drive because my yeah. job was to keep athletes motivated. And so I, we always had to like every day take a look at like, what did you do? Let's acknowledge a job well done. You check the box. You did a good job. Take the next step. And that's actually something we baked into AIM7 is when people Mm -hmm. accomplish their weekly goals, we actually tell them to like take a moment and acknowledge it in a way that's very unique to them. Otherwise, you're going to quit. You just will. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also a perfect segue now. Let's talk for the next few minutes about AIM7. If someone has been interested in this conversation so far. Well, mm-hmm. you're listening, you obviously are. Let's discuss how, what you developed in AIM7, kind of run us through the specs of it, how it works and what it does. And of course, if people actually want to try it, yeah. there is going to be the link associated with this wherever you're listening to this or watching this. And the code is FITFAMILY, where you get an awesome uh, discount and ability to try this out. So get into AIM7, let's talk about that now. Yeah, so the big problem with wearables is it's just data. Right. Like, so what if I walked 10,000 steps or slept seven hours? Like, what do I do today? And insights aren't good enough. You got to know what to do. So we connect to your wearable device. We're iOS only. We connect to the Apple Watch, Oura Ring, Garmin, Fitbit. Mm-hmm. And if you have like an Apple and an Aura or Garmin and Aura, we can combine all of these and we do some really cool stuff in the background to kind of make these super devices. But what we then do is we also do something that's very unique. And this is part of our secret sauce. But your wearable doesn't know how you feel. 
And that's a big problem. So if yeah. you've ever used a device and it's like, oh, you're a 90 today. And you're like, no, I feel like crap. Well, yeah. there's a reason. So we do this really quick, short calibration in the morning. Takes 20 seconds about your mood and energy. And then AIM-7 gives you daily personalized recommendations for exercise, recovery, and mental fitness. Mm -hmm. So like we can see, we're going to tell you how much gas you have in the tank. We call it an A7 score. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, all right, um, if you are going to go do aerobic exercise, you should stay in this heart rate zone and here's an ideal duration. Nice. Uh, if you're going to do a HIT program, you know, we have different physiological outcomes that you could do. Or if you're going to go do a HIT class, go this long and this hard. Mm -hmm. um, same thing for recovery from a sleep perspective. Um, we also have like, you can input and be like, hey, I have a foam roller. Or I, I do have a cold plunge or a sauna. Which one do I use today and how do I use it? Um, and then from a mental fitness perspective, we can assess your mood. So let's say you're stressed. We will give you a breathwork tool to use right then to regulate your nervous system. Or your mood is off. We'll give you a gratitude intervention. And we do this all. I mean, it's like the full gamut of exercise, recovery, and mental fitness. And what we find is, you know, that people love this because we're telling you exactly what you need to do each day to look, feel, and perform better. It pairs directly with whatever program you're already doing. Yeah. If you don't have an exercise program, we can provide that for you in there. But we like want to compliment. Use Peloton. We've have Peloton recommendations in there. Yep. So um, we're like that coach in your pocket that now is going to take all that wearable data and actually make it useful, tailored to you and your specific goals, your lifestyle, your preferences. That's amazing. I mean, I think this is kind of like insofar as we talked about technology has damaging effects. This is such a beautiful use of it. A self, like a self inputted feedback and advice mechanism that is dynamically flowing with you through your stress capacity, meeting you where you're at in any given day, helping take out the cognitive burden, need to figure out what is and integrating with great platforms like ours that, you know, we, it just, it's so cool how that all works. I'm, I'm really excited that this is out there and that people get to listen to this now. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was, uh, Two and a half year labor of love to get it in the marketplace. There's a lot of bill, you know, technology, but uh, customers, you know, we've had people's lives literally get changed. I mean, people that were struggling with mental health issues, parents that have lost weight. I mean, just when you get the stress systems balanced out, the body can do amazing things. Yeah, And it's been a blessing to just be able to sit there and just watch and help. That's a beautiful comment. And I think that I want to emphasize that in our conclusion here, our bodies have innate intelligence to heal, to organize. I mean, it's the whole system that comes from our DNA expresses as our tissues and structures and can repair and remodel. Yet when the stress system is not working properly, when the inputs are not right, the capacity is low, that ability to heal and organize is basically put on pause hold and ultimately leads to degeneration, if not reactivated. And it sounds like, well, I know that AIM-7 is a great way for people to actually reactivate that and keep it tuned up on a regular basis through dynamic recommendations. So it's deep well, thank stuff. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on to, to share this. Yeah. You're welcome so much. And there's going to be links, everyone in the show notes where people can try AIM-7 discount code fit family. And uh, Dr. Eric, thanks again for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fit Father Project Podcast. If you love what you heard, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. 
It really helps spread this show to more men who need this valuable info. To watch full video episodes of this podcast and other motivational videos to inspire your training and more, visit our Fit Father Project YouTube channel. It's free and everything's made for busy guys over 40 like you. Visit youtube.com forward slash Fit Father Project to get access to our entire video library. And finally, if you or someone in your life is interested in becoming a fit father or needs help losing weight, building muscle, and living healthier after age 40, then visit fitfatherproject.com where you can see our proven programs, supplement line for guys 40 plus, and free meal plan and workouts to get you started. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll see you in the next episode.